It's Justin here. And it's Adam. It is 8 p.m. on August 2nd, and we recorded a Mets podcast this morning recapping the first week of the Mets games. However, this was quite an eventful Sunday for the New York Metropolitans, and therefore we thought we had to record a new beginning for our podcast that we recorded. Yeah, so you're going to hear on the podcast in a little bit that I talk about Cespedes quite a bit, and I say that it'd be great if he was no longer on the team, and that it would be great if Dominic Smith took all of his at-bats, and then for a little while today, I was concerned for his life and concerned that I had had something really horrible. Um, Turns out he's fine, and I was a little oppression, and I'm going to get what I want, Um, and it seems like uh, Cespedes isn't going to be on the team anymore, and Dom Smith's going to get all those at-bats, and we wanted to do a little bit of a deep dive into what we know now and kind of what we were experiencing today. But real quick, before we go any further, Justin, Jed Lowry's on the 45-day IL. So anyone who listened to our our uh, Mets preview when we talked about uh, different bets, our bet was whether Jed Lowry played a over or under one and a half games. And I took the under, you took the over, so I win. That's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll take my loss on that one. But uh, before we go any further, we again, as we said, we want to just talk for a few minutes about Ioannis Cespedes. Uh, we know we know the fans uh, want this. Uh, one of our friends of the pod, Rich Silver. Uh, I, I know he's waiting out there. So uh, here it is. So thanks for listening, Rich. Yes. So as Adam just alluded to, we talked about whether you know whether or not how long he should still be in the lineup. Obviously, that answer is going to be uh, not any longer at all. Uh, Forever. Yeah. He's not a Met anymore. And I think like. it's probably fair to think that he, he probably played his last Major League Baseball game in a contract year for him to walk away. If he, And look, if he was afraid about coronavirus, that's, again, he has, it's well within his right to opt out of this season. And I'm sure he's not going to be the last player that does this. But in a contract season, uh, if he was healthy, uh, the fact that he opted out and cost himself some future earnings does make it think that he just didn't think that he had any baseball left in him, or at least that's a possibility. What what are your thoughts? Well, I think you you skipped ahead a little bit. We we should go through the timeline a little bit. So um, it's right before the game starts, and I get a uh, text message from my mother-in-law, who is a huge Met fan, and she said that no one knows where Cespedes is. So I, I go online, and people on Twitter are reporting that you know, they don't know, the Mets don't know where he is. So we immediately become concerned for his well-being, right? Like there's been stories of, you know, players in major, in professional sports disappearing and turning up dead. Like we were, we were really concerned about him. Um, we didn't know what happened. And then the team tweets out that there's no reason to be concerned for safety, but they don't know where he is. And it's not like um, Johannes Cespedes hasn't been involved with some weird stuff in the past. Right. So I was... Like we, we made a rule between the two of us, no tweeting today because we wanted to be respectful in case something horrible had happened. And then right as the, the game ends, um, they they report that he, he left the team, but they, they you know he was safe and they knew where he was. So tonight we've learned a little bit more. Uh, so Cespedes has officially said that he's, he's left because of the coronavirus, and the team reiterated that, and we tend to believe that. Uh, to we don't know clearly what happened. We're not in the locker room, but it must be very scary to be a baseball player right now. Um, I I don't think I would feel comfortable doing that. And he has a family. He has a family member who has a pre-existing condition, and it sounds like he just decided that it was too dangerous. It's unfortunate he didn't let the team know. And it's unfortunate that uh, his teammates probably didn't know what was going on. A lot of us were very scared, but that seems likely what happened. The New York Post is reporting that he left because of um, concerns over playing time and getting his bonus, and it. While that is a possible situation, it's also very possible that the Mets organization is trying to make Cespedes look bad now, uh, given what happened over the course of the day, and given that he's no longer a Met. And what we know about the Wilpons, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put that by them. It was just a sad day to be a Mets fan. It really was. And now that Ioannis Cespedes has played his last game for the New York Mets, I think it's fair to just look back and, I mean, he was... He was Unbelievable. In 2015, he helped this team get to a World Series. He was great again in 2016 when he helped them get to the wild card. Uh, as, as we've said on this podcast before, 
he never lived up, you know, after that 2016 season, he got the big four-year contract, never even came close to living it up. He gave us fans this one final moment on opening day where he hit the dramatic home run that won them the game. After that opening day, it's it's clearly been all downhill. And uh, it, again, it's just sad because it reached a point where he left the team and didn't tell anybody that he was going to opt out. And I think we can use that as a transition then to talk about what happened on the field in today's game. And it also... Which was also really, really sad. I mean, we were dealing with worrying about Cespedes' well-being and then also watching this product that was subpar consistently throughout yeah. the day. So in our podcast, which you will hear in its, uh, you know, in the way that we originally recorded it after our intro here, but one thing we talked about was that was the Mets' troubles hitting with runners in scoring position. And we both sort of said that they have way too many good hitters and enough guys that are actually hitting and getting on base to continue to not hit with runners in scoring position. I feel like I jinxed the team because I said I think with a larger sample size, as you'll hear in a little bit, that they'll hit with runners in scoring position. I thought it was just they were getting on base and it was just going to work itself out. I was wrong. They ended up going to an astounding 1-4-15 with runners in scoring position. That's that's it really hard to do. Things, it was one of those things where like it's it was a story before the game, and then it happened, and like, left a couple runners on, and people are talking about it, and they leave another couple. It just it wouldn't stop. It, I mean, at this point, it's got to be in their heads, correct? I mean, they have to be thinking. I mean, I think it's a combination of the fact that they just had these three brutal losses on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. They're in a four-game losing streak. Uh, clearly they're all pressing because they're getting hits in less pressurized situations when, I mean, they had plenty of hits in this game. I think they had 10, but they're just not hitting when guys are at second or third base. And on top of all that, you tense, when you're feeling stress, you tense up more. And in the more stressful situations, they clearly didn't hit today. And the whole UNS Cespedes thing had to be weighing on them. Us as fans were fearing the worst for UNS Cespedes, and we just root for him as a fan. This is not a person that we know personally as a human being. I can only imagine what his teammates were thinking, just knowing that he didn't show up to the ballpark today and didn't mention anything to anybody. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I mean, we'll learn more about the timeline a little bit later, but it, it seems like the team wasn't aware that he had cleaned out his room until after the game had started. I mean, we'll learn about, like I just said, we'll learn more about that later. But if that's the case, they probably were fearful as well. They didn't know why he wasn't there, and they may have assumed the worst as well. And that, I mean, it certainly couldn't have helped the fact that they were so obviously pressing uh, in situations where they were hitting with runners in scoring position. Uh, so let's look at where the Mets now stand. They now stand at 3-7. and seven. It, all, it almost feels like talking about the Braves and trying to win the National League East. It's, it's just pointless. It's just, it's just not going to happen. It feels like the Braves are going to run away with this thing at this point. And I will just I just want to say that you may be rolling your eyes at Justin, but they're only playing 60 games, and they're done with 10 of them. So they're, they're a bunch of games behind, and they don't have that many games to yeah, be there. This would be the equivalent of being four games back, 112 games into the season, except... In, you know, if you're four games out of a division race, 112 games in, chances are you've had a pretty decent season to that point. That's not the case for the Mets. Like, the, there's no confidence. There's no sense that, like, oh, we can turn it around. They're three and seven right now, and just about everything that's could have gone wrong on the field has gone wrong. And I know I said I tweeted this out uh, before today's game that it had to be all hands on deck. Well, now it really needs to be all hands on deck for tomorrow's game against Atlanta. It's the final game of this series. You don't want to get swept by a division rival. They're going to have Jacob deGrom on the mound. They just have to stop the bleeding because if they can get a win tomorrow and they get to 4-7, and seven, they could be like, okay, the bleeding is over. We can breathe a little bit. Maybe some of the guys can relax a little more. And again, eight teams in the National League are going to make the playoffs this year, meaning there probably will be sub-500 teams in the playoffs. This team doesn't have to be great to get there. And as we've seen, once you get in the playoffs, anything can happen. But I really think tomorrow, uh, it, it's just, I don't think to the importance of Monday night's game can be of uh, overstated. I mean, you got DeGrom on the mound. It's your, the last time you're going to see the Braves for a while. It, it You have to view this 
as a must win for so many reasons for where you where you're at in the standings to stop end the losing streak for team morale to finally get some hits in runners and scoring position uh you know and maybe it'll be fitting that dom smith is the guy that uh you know gets the big hit tomorrow to uh, help the mets win dom smith i'm sure can certainly breathe easier now knowing that he's going to be in the lineup every single day every single day well that we're a little longer than 10 minutes. We wanted to keep our new intro to 10 minutes. Um, just real quick, I love David Peterson. He didn't get the win. He got the loss. His ERA is 3.86. This guy, whenever he gets into trouble, he seems to be able to get out of it. I love his stuff. I think he's going to be a good pitcher on this team for a while. Um, that's that's all we got for the intro. We think you're going to like the podcast. Uh, we, we debated trashing it, but we think our analysis of their first week and a half is still spot on and I think maybe even more relevant given what happened today. It is Sunday morning, August 2nd, and welcome to another edition of the Born in 87 podcast. So, Adam, you want to know what I was thinking about earlier this week? I'd love to know what you're thinking about earlier this week. Collectively, the Mets, Jets, and Knicks are in the longest playoff drought of our lifetimes. Did you realize that? I'm not surprised. So I didn't actually like sit down and think about it and go back and like figure it out, but that makes perfect sense our teams have been really terrible for a while with the exception of the Mets but they still they haven't made the playoffs in a couple of years now yeah it, it's just amazing to think because these teams have been so inept but yes this this is the stretch since 1987 where the three teams have collectively missed the playoffs the longest the last playoff game we saw was uh, that wild card game in October of 2016 uh, I was looking back the second longest stretch was three years. The, the Jets made the playoffs in 06. They made it again in 09. That, that was previously the longest stretch. We are now in a stretch that is longer than that. Well, and the if reason... you are a Met, Jet, and Nick fan, you, like us, have been tortured your whole life. And this year mm-hmm. is the year of the most torture, right? Where we're living during a pandemic. We're living through social unrest. We're living through... Just it's just been a really tough year, and of course our three teams would not be good and not be on track to make the playoffs. Yeah. So at the beginning of this week, the news story broke with the Miami Marlins and about how basically their entire team has coronavirus. And I'm I'm not in any way making light of the fact or of uh, you know that this happened. But one of my thoughts that uh, came through my head when I heard this news is that oh my god, the season's going to be canceled. And this playoff drought is going to continue going on even more. <laughs> I mean, that's making light of the situation a little bit. We hope that I know you wish the Marlins would, would get better and be okay. Um, I think the thing I'm just sad about is I'm worried that we're not going to have baseball. And then the Mets of our three teams were the the best. I, I think we both agree to that that we think they had the best chance of competing this year. So it is just going to be another year where. We have to wait for next year, which I think a lot of fans are just getting sick of. We, we both are starting to spend a lot of time on Twitter and talking to Mets, Jets, and Nick fans, and we're just tired of waiting till next year. It's frustrating, especially in this year where uh, right before the season, baseball comes out and says that, oh, we're going to have eight playoff teams this year, not five. Uh, one thing we talked about in our Mets opening day pod was that we thought this team had a chance to make the playoffs if it was the standard five-team format, but if they expanded it to eight, which they did, that they absolutely should be making the playoffs. There's no reason why this team shouldn't be one of the eight best teams in the National League. And in a year that we thought maybe this 60-game sprint would be fun, uh, well, it hasn't been fun for a number of reasons. One's their on-field play, and two is just you know everything going on in the world and coronavirus wreaking havoc throughout uh, Major League Baseball. But one thing we wanted to say is that even though the future of this season is very up in the air, obviously you've had all these positive tests with the Marlins. Now you've seen some positive tests with the St. Louis Cardinals. While no players have tested positive on the Philadelphia Phillies, uh, several coaches have, and the Phillies haven't played baseball in a week. Uh, On this podcast, we talk about the Mets, Jets, and Knicks, and we at least for the purposes of the podcast today, we want to keep it about 
what's going on on the field and we just want to try and keep our analysis to what we've seen and you know what we think we may see if the season continues as baseball hopes it hopes it does and that they make it to a finish line and crown a world series champion in october yeah and today on this podcast we're just going to be talking about the Mets. so we do cover those three teams that justin mentioned but today's pod is just focusing on the mets and i think that's some important framing like we we hope the season makes it through we hope that this feels like a legitimate season and we're going to analyze this team in terms of what we're seeing and not let the fact that it's very likely the season will get canceled or changed or something um, to overshadow our analysis of the team. So so uh, with that, let's move on to talking about the 2020 Mets. And uh, I'd like to say, okay, this this will be uh, something more fun to talk about, but the Mets haven't been very fun thus far. Uh, I do here's... think there's some signs of hope and optimism Um inside all of the, the misery. I mean, there's been a lot of misery. We've had a lot of really tough losses and blowout losses and problems that we'll get into. But I, I do think if you squint and you look carefully, there are signs of optimism. And maybe I, I can drive some of that today. Okay, so so what are some of your uh, signs of optimism on this team that's currently sitting at three and six? You know that when I talk about building a lineup, I prefer guys who get on base a lot and are patient. And I've seen a lot of talk lately about how the Mets aren't hitting in the clutch, which I'm not so sure is the case. I mean, in order to figure out what the clutch is and in order to figure out if you actually are good or bad at hitting with runners in scoring position, you need a pretty big sample size. And even though we're a pretty decent way through the season, our sample size is really small. They've only played nine games. games. It's a small sample. And I, I, I do think there's some signs that this team has a good approach at the plate. When I watch them... I don't. I see them waiting for good pitches. I see them drawing out into long pitch counts, and I see guys who get on base. So I just want to go through their on base percentage. So Cano's uh, on base percentage is four thirty eight. McNeil's is four oh five. Um, JD Davis is three ninety three. Nimmo's is four thirty six, and Conforto's is four oh five. That's all really good. So people are saying that the team isn't hitting well. That. I don't know if the numbers bear that out. They, I watch these games. They're getting on base. They're drawing walks. They are manufacturing runs. I, I should have open like where they are in the league and runs and where they are in the league and on offense. I, I don't, but I just watch this team and I think their approach at the plate is, is pretty decent. And then over a large sample size, that will bear out. I also think because the Mets didn't hit a lot in that opening series against Atlanta, it made everybody feel like, oh, this team isn't hitting. But if you look at it, in the six games since then, they've had games where they've scored seven runs, eight runs, five runs, ten runs. So I mean, they're, they're definitely scoring runs while they might not be doing the best job of hitting with runners in scoring position. I I think that is something that will equal out. If you're going to get hits, at times you're going to get hits with runners in scoring position. I think, Justin, it's important to say that to be an elite hitter with runners in scoring position, you need to get a hit like three out of every like nine or ten times. So you need to hit with runners in scoring position ten times in order to figure out like in a small sample if you're doing a good job or not. You really need like... 30, 40, 50 at-bats with runners in scoring position late in games to figure out if you're hitting in the clutch. Um, so it's just, it's too early. So Conforto, I know, got a lot of a lot of crap for not getting that big hit late uh, down the stretch in that game, but it's it's just one, like, the guys who are the best at it still will miss two out of every three times with runners in scoring position. It's just too early to say that this is a team that is not hitting in the clutch and isn't going to be able to hit well, like, in the playoffs. It's, it's just too early, and I think the numbers bear out over a larger sample, they'll be okay. Yeah, and I think the game you were alluding to with Conforto was the game on Wednesday night. That was the game where down two runs, the Mets loaded the bases with nobody out. They were only able to push one run across, and they lost that game, a one-run loss to the Red Sox. But again, as you're saying, I think over a longer period of time, they're showing that they're hitting enough to the point where they will eventually hit with runners in scoring position. But I don't know about not. you. It's just it's too early to say that they're not. I... I agree. And I think this team has a lot of issues that are way bigger than the lineup right now. Because, again, as I said previously, they've had games this week where they've scored 7, 8, 5, and 10 runs. And the Mets lost games where they scored 5 and 10 runs. So they're putting up enough 
runs. I mean, Friday night they scored 10 runs and lost. You should never lose a baseball game when you score 10 They were up runs. 10 to 2 at one point, weren't they? Uh, I believe they were up 8 to 2, and then they were up 10 to 6th in the 8th inning. Uh, the bullpen did not... Uh, hold that lead and I think I think that's a good transition into saying that this bullpen has not been very good thus far uh, one of the things we talked about on our previous pod and three things that we were not excited about for the season one of those was Edwin Diaz Edwin Diaz has continued to not be good he's not been the only problem in the bullpen but he's not definitely a, but he's definitely a problem uh, after getting a, a save on opening day, he blows. He was one strike away from getting the save in the second game of the season. He then gives up that home run to Marcelo Zuna. They end up losing that game in extra innings. Marcelo Zuna has continued to kill the Mets in this early part of the season. Uh, but even after that, Edwin Diaz, they bring him in again on. I believe it was the Thursday night game against the Red Sox, and not that he cost them that game. Uh, he was brought into the game in the ninth inning with the Mets down a run, and then he gave up another run. It could have been a lot worse, but uh, I believe it was uh, Paul Sewald got him out of further trouble. Point being, though, is that he put the Mets in a spot where it made it much harder for them to come back in that game. And you just worry about it because you look at him, and the guy hits 98-99 on the gun. He... He claims he's, you know, hitting spots on pitches, but I think in a lot of cases that's not necessarily the case because, he, th you know, he throws up meatballs and guys hit him hard. Clearly, it just seems to be a head case. He was a head case last year, and that hasn't, it hasn't changed this year. He, he's still struggling mightily, uh, and right now I think the Mets have to view this guy as, like, their seventh reliever, and if you're going to salvage anything, from this guy, and not just this year, but I think at this point you have to look at it as his career with the Mets as a whole. You have to put him in low-pressure spots, hope that maybe he can pitch well and that you can build his confidence back up. What, I mean, do you think there's any way to salvage Edward Diaz at this point? You know, I came in a little more optimistic than you. I play in a, and I play in a, I play in a fantasy baseball league, and I follow fantasy baseball pretty carefully, and a lot of analysts were really high on Diaz. They kind of thought he'd, you know, regress back to the norm. So... Uh, people always say like you know blow you know don't take outlier seasons into account. Edwin Diaz had two good years before that, one elite year before that. Last year was just an outlier. And then I was hopeful, but not quite as confident as a lot of these analysts. You were like, I don't think Diaz is going to be good. And even when the season started, I said I, I thought he looked good. And I heard in spring training or, or summer training, whatever you want to call it, he he looked good as well. Um, I'm at the point now where I don't think I would use him. I, I think you drop him from the roster and have him play in these simulated games. I I feel bad for him. So I have two balancing emotions. One, you know, I want the Mets to win, and he's not able to get guys out, so I don't want them to play him. But you just can't help but feel bad. He's a young man who, his stuff is tremendous. Like, he, he has five strikeouts so far. Um, you see him blow guys away. You see he, like, hitters not be able to figure him out. And then he just... Gets, gives up these home runs and can't get out of trouble. I just, you just feel bad for someone who's just melting down publicly like that. Um, I don't know what, there's nothing I think to do. I think his time with the Mets is probably almost over. I don't see them continue to utilize him. And you say bring him into low leverage spots. I think that their mismanagement of low leverage spots is one of the reasons they're under 500 now. Like, they bring in bad relievers when they're up by a lot, and then the other team gets back into it. We've seen that on multiple occasions. I actually think that their biggest problem with their bullpen is the back end of the rotation just giving up tons of runs, and then you bring in your better relievers into tough situations. Like, Lugo is amazing, and he was brought in, I forget what night it was, he was brought in, I think there was two runners on... And one out, you you're better with the details. And so you're talking. So you're talking about the game on Friday night where the Mets blew a 10-6 eighth inning lead. So uh, if you follow us on Twitter at Born in eighty seven Pod, uh, you'll see that we tweeted out that we thought Friday night was a massive game. The Mets had just lost two tough games back to back to the Red Sox. They came into the series one game back of Atlanta in the division, and they have this four-game series down in Atlanta where they have a chance to overtake Atlanta and get back on the right track. 
And I thought that given how short this season is and how important these games against Atlanta are, uh, I thought Rojas had to go to Lugo for two innings at the end of that game and just lock it up. Instead, he doesn't do that. He goes to Dellen Batances in the eighth. And two issues here with the bullpen manager. First off, Batances has not, and this was something you were very skeptical of coming into the season, being that Batances was coming off an injury. He didn't pitch at all last year. Batances has not been good at all. Well, he had two all. really severe injuries last year. Um, like, not just one, two, two very bad ones. Um, so I was skeptical that he would be able to pitch well. And so far, you've been right. He has not been good at all. So he comes into the game. He has absolutely nothing. Uh, he gives up two runs, leaves two runners on base, only records one out. And then finally, Rojas goes to Lugo. And instead of now just pitching Lugo for two clean innings, right. he's now asking Lugo to get, instead of six outs, five outs in an incredibly high leverage spot where he's coming to the game up two runs instead of four runs and runners on first and third with only one out. And, I mean, sure, could Lugo have gotten out of that situation with the lead? Yes, it's not like Lugo pitched great that night, but you also didn't put Lugo in a spot where he had the best chance to succeed. And this just goes back to that bullpen management. And the thing is, even if you didn't want to go to Lugo for two innings there, I think there were, given how shaky Batances has looked early in the season, there were other guys you could have gone to. You could have gone to Familia there. Familia's looked uh, really good so far this season. Uh, Justin Wilson, I know, had a really bad game on Wednesday night, probably because I, I think that was like the fifth time in sixth games that he'd been used. By Friday night, maybe he would have been a little more rested and you could have gone to him. Uh, Drew Smith has looked fantastic. Uh, I, I don't know if that's just, you know, random occurrence that he's looked good through three Still outings. Still but, sample size. But... And, yeah, you know, if Drew Smith had been brought into that game Friday night and he blew it, obviously uh, Louis Rojas would have been criticized for that. But I think they had other options. I think their best option clearly would have been to just go for, to Lugo for, for two Lugo. innings, and he didn't do that. And, I mean, that was just such a mortalizing defeat. It was a game where you were up 8-2, to two, then 10-6. to six. You end up losing the game 11-10. And just as a Mets fan, it's infuriating because then you see that a night after this happens, they fall completely flat on Saturday night. I wonder. Uh, I mean, I feel like a lot of this. We'll, we'll get into the manager in a second, um, but I think a lot of this does come back to the fact that they don't have Stroman or Syndergaard. They're having to utilize the bullpen earlier in games. They have to use them on more days, and it just it's it's having a spiraling effect where they're the back end of the bullpen isn't strong. It's taking Batances a while to get back to where he used to be. If he'll ever get back to where he is, and just there's just so many more innings that have to be eaten by the bullpen. I mean, it's not surprising. I think maybe the thing is just staring us right in the face is two of their, I don't know, six or seven best players aren't playing, and that has an effect on everything else. And maybe we shouldn't have underestimated the massive impact that losing two really good pitchers was going to have on them. Um, and I was hopeful that maybe Michael Waka could step up after his first game and fill in a lot of those innings. And after last night, that seems unlikely. And Porcello seems like he also may just, just kind of be done with his career. So there's not a lot of bright spots in, in their pitching besides DeGrom and Peterson right now. And, and Matz has looked pretty good. That's true. He's looked better. Um, but he, 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 I know this is terrible, and as someone who suffers from anxiety, I feel for him. Sometimes you just look at his face, and you don't get the sense that he's super confident in his stuff and the sense that he's, he's kind of nervous what's going on. Um, and as someone who yeah. suffers from anxiety, like I said, like I feel for him, but you don't necessarily want that look in the eyes of one of your pitchers. Uh, very fair points, uh, as you said. Uh, in that game where the Mets lost 11-10, I believe Porcello didn't make it out of the fourth inning. Another thing to add on to that is the Mets have also been without Jared Hughes and Brad Brock to this point of the season, and Robert Gazelman. Uh, if you remember, Robert Gazelman uh, got hurt like the day before the season started. That was someone they thought they were going to be able to count on, and uh, I think Jared Hughes and Brad Brock have both been out with a. a COVID-related uh, sh- symptoms. I think they should be back pretty soon, but as we saw with Eduardo Rodriguez, coronavirus is nothing to, you know, you have to take coronavirus seriously, and you don't necessarily know how someone's recovery is going to go. So we hope they get back soon, mostly because they want them, we want them to be healthy and okay. Um, yep, uh, well said. Um, but one thing we had mentioned was while they're missing two starters and three relievers, and certainly that's had an effect, uh, the bullpen management has not been great, and the guy managing that bullpen is the new manager, Louis Rojas, and 
I, I want to ask you, Adam, why can't this team get a good manager? I've been going back and forth about Rojas a lot. So they've only played nine games. And I want, if we're going to give him the benefit of the doubt, here's the benefit of the doubt. He is trying to maximize every moment. That he understands that this is a, there's a shortened season, and every he thinks that every little decision will help them win. And normally in life, if you sweat the small stuff and you make every little micro decision correct, that usually will work out. And I think in this case, it's actually hurting them, where he's constantly pulling their best hitters out of the lineup for pinch runners and defensive replacements. And I think that he he thinks that, okay, I just have to do everything I can to make sure that no more runners score in the next inning, and I need to make sure that we get as many runs as possible, and that means I need all the pinch runners, and I need all these defensive replacements, and I'm not going to worry about what happens later, and I think that's the wrong decision. There's been so many situations where you're pulling guys like J.D. Davis, who's who's maybe one of their top two or three hitters right now, out of future at-bats, just for uh, the marginal chance that his replacement will either run a little faster or make like a catch that JD Davis wouldn't have been able to. And there's, there's those are these are really marginal decisions. There's only like what one out of every like 50, you know, times that the ball's in the air that JD Davis's replacement would have like caught the ball when he wouldn't have. It's not like super likely. Um, and I, 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 that's what I think he's trying to do. He's trying to really get everything he can out of this team, and I think it's ending up cat costing them and i just hope he can learn from this because it's maybe it's just early career jitters he's only been doing this for nine days um but it certainly has become a thing and i picked it i feel like quicker than you and uh i think everyone now sees it so and those are all good points do you know how old louis rojas is i have no idea he's only 38 years old so i i have another take on this and it's been really infuriating to watch some of the bullpen mismanagement and how he's taking out good players early, too early in games. Uh, why he has this insistence on, and he's done it twice now, where he's taken J.D. Davis out for defense when J.D. Davis was set to lead off the next inning. But one of my thoughts as to why I think also maybe he was doing this is, first off, he's a young guy, and he's trying to get respect of the team. He's also He also knows he wasn't the first choice of the team. This team wanted Carlos Beltran to be the manager. Then all of a sudden during the offseason, all the stu- stuff with the uh, Houston Astros cheating scandal came out. They felt like they were in a situation where they had to fire Carlos Beltran. They then decided that to give Louis Rojas the job. And I think Louis Rojas wants respect of the locker room and he wants to keep guys happy and he wants to get guys playing time, I think that's a part of it. But I also think a very underrated thing here is that up until March 11th, we thought that this baseball season was going to go off at normally as the way any other season would. And at that point, this was going to be a regular standard National League season. So I think after Louis Rojas got the job, you know, he looks at the season, he lays out the season in a certain way and thinks, okay, this is how I'm going to get my guys into games. This is how I'm going to get guys playing time. And in a National League game, it's much easier to get your bench guys playing time. You have pinch hitting situ- natural pinch hitting situations every single game because the pitcher comes up. In situations where you want a pitcher to pitch multiple innings without having to come up to the plate, you have double switches. Like There's just a lot more natural spots to get your bench players into a game. Then all of a sudden, coronavirus hits. We don't even know if there's going to be a season. Then we find out there's going to be a season. There's going to be this wacky schedule with way more interleague play. And then there's going to be a designated hitter all the time. And all of a sudden, now you have this season with American League rules. And in the American League game, let's face it, there isn't as much of a need for your bench. And there's not as much of a reason uh, to bring in your bench guys. But I think coming in, he thought that, like, this is how much playing time I want to get for my guys. And it's been something where he's felt like maybe I need to get playing time for the... For these people and I got to get them into games and hopefully he learns and adjusts on the fly here and realize that in some games you don't need to go to your bench sometimes in an American League game the best play is just to let the nine guys that you started the game with those should be the nine guys that finish the game and hopefully he'll learn that I don't necessarily agree I mean the only one who could tell us what he's thinking is Louis Rojas and I don't think he's coming on the pod anytime soon unless we start getting a lot more followers followers on Instagram and Twitter and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or uh, 
Spotify. I just think that he's overmade it. I don't necessarily think he's saying I need to get guys at bat so they feel more in the game. I think he just says, okay, it's a one-run game. Jimenez is a better infielder than, you know, Cano. I'm going to sub him out because it gives us a better chance to win. And it's, in the, it's just not giving them a better chance to win. Well, I, I guess we'll find it. I'm just hoping he can learn from his mistakes. It's just so obvious that this is a mistake right now, and it's not working out. Um, it just You just hope that he's smart enough to, to look back. Did you have any other uh, big points about the Mets before we start wrapping this pot up, Justin? One last thing I'd like to say. Uh, I think it was the Thursday night game against the Red Sox, and I think this drove me crazy, maybe even more than anything else that he's done, and it's worth mentioning. So Thursday night's game, bottom of the eighth inning, they're down by a run. Jimenez is up, and Jimenez is up because he had two innings earlier. He pinch ran Jimenez for Cano. And they're down a run, bases loaded, two outs. He still has Dom Smith sitting. <laughs> he still. Ha- the reason I'm laughing right now is because we're on FaceTime and Adam just spilled coffee all over himself. If you're a fan of the movie Airplane, I think I have a drinking problem. I have coffee all over <laughs> myself now, which is not the beverage you want in your clothes, but I'm wearing my pajamas because I only <laughs> wear pajamas because we're living in coronavirus, so it's, it's really okay. I'm, I, I slept in these last night. I'll probably sleep in these tonight. And when I sleep in them we're- tonight, they'll just have coffee on them. We're also recording at 9 a.m. on a Sunday, and we both have small children, so I I think it's fair that you're still in pajamas. I'm always in pajamas. (laughs) Anyways, uh, what was I saying? Oh, so he lets Jimenez hit in this spot, and I think in certain spots, Jimenez has looked very impressive. Jimenez is super young. He's clearly a guy that the Mets see as a part of their future, but they still had Dom Smith on the bench. Dom Smith is a really good pinch hitter, and... The Mets still had Luis Guillorme on the bench who could have filled in for defense there in that spot. Why Dom Smith wasn't utilized as a pinch hitter there is beyond me. For a guy who's been so quick to go to his bench, that was a spot where he clearly should have gone to his bench and didn't. Um, and Dom maybe Smith is his... a monster pinch hitter. He's really embraced that role and good at it. Oh, he's unbelievable at it. And you know, I, I think that's a decision that clearly could have cost them a game. I mean, would Dom Smith uh, have come up with a hit there? You know, I mean, we, we, we have no way of knowing that, but he, he I think he definitely would have had a better trance dance than uh, Jimenez. I just thought that that was such an egregious uh, spot there. It's worth uh, calling him out on. I gotta uh, say, I love Dom Smith. I want Dom Smith in the lineup every day. At this point, I, I know you like Cespedes more. I, I would trade Cespedes if you get anything for him and just play Dom every day. I love Dominic Smith, and I... He's, he's great. He, he may be a better defensive first baseman than Alonzo, and you put Alonzo at the DH spot then. I just I want this guy in the team. I want him playing every day. He's everything you want in a baseball player. He's fun. He uh, advocates for the right things outside of baseball. He hits in the clutch. He embraces any role you put him into. I want him on the team forever. So since Cespedes is a free agent at the end of the season and the they're clearly not going to re-sign him. I do think if we have another five to ten games of Cespedes not really hitting, I do think that that's something you're going to see. I don't think the Mets are there yet, though. He has hit two home runs this year. He has some RBIs. Even though he hasn't hit a lot, he does have a couple of clutch he hits. He certainly had a clutch huge... walk the other night where he uh, you know, was able to get a run in just by you know getting on base, too, which was really cool to see. Yeah, I, I don't think his performance has been poor enough where you can say, okay, we're ready to take Cespedes out of the lineup. But if he's still hitting 200 or below in another 5 to 10 games, I do think you're then you're at a spot where it may be worth considering just playing Dom Smith every day. And if Joanna Cespedes is unhappy about not playing, who cares? He's not going to be on the team in 2021. Yeah, and he's done a million things where he doesn't deserve a right to complain about his playing time. He's not taking care of his body the way he needs to. He's done silly things. He's played golf, and I don't even know the kind of stuff he does in his ranch that's led to him getting injured, but we love we love Cespedes. We're very grateful for everything he did, but it may be time to move on, and I, I just, I've always adored Dom Smith. Even when I heard heard about him playing in the minors and started following his career, I just want him and Alonzo on this team forever. It just stinks that they play the same position. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it does, but I, I think it's, I think after seeing the designated hitter across all of baseball this season, I th- and I know a lot of Mets fans out there are National League purists, and I'm kind of one of them too. I, in a way, I do enjoy analyzing the game from a standpoint of what do they do here with the pitcher spot coming up 
that being said, it it, it is fun seeing real hitters come up. It, it's fun to be able to have a spot for a Ioannis Cespedes or a Dom Smith and... I just don't think baseball is going to go back to the way it was. I think the designated hitter is going to be here to stay. And if the designated hitter is going to be here to stay, then then I think they're going to have a spot for Dom Smith. The only thing I will say is both him and Alonzo are plus first baseman. So you're not really maximizing both players having them on the same team. Because it's not like one of them shouldn't be playing the field. They both are starting caliber first baseman on a major league team. And I've... I've always thought that maybe Smith is actually a little better at first than Alonzo, but we need to know a little more. So before we transition out, I do think we should talk about the schedule just quickly. I know that we were both very hopeful that both teams would make the playoffs because, sorry, that the Mets would make the playoffs because they there's eight teams that could make it, and even though they're under 500 now, there's still a great chance that they'd make the playoffs, assuming we could make it there. But as we were talking about before the pot, a lot of the wins we were banking on were against the Marlins, and we don't know if the Marlins are going to be able to play again this season. It takes a very long time to recover from coronavirus. And then I think you still need two negative tests before you're cleared to play. So you can't necessarily bank on those wins. And the rest of their division is really good, though the Nationals haven't been as good as we were expecting. And as we saw when they played the Red Sox, it's not like those games against the AL East are going to be cake either. And clearly at this point, we can both say that they're not as good as the Braves. Um, though it seems like a lot of their games against the Braves are almost in, in the books. So it's not like you can look at the schedule w- and say, okay, this is where they're going to pick up a lot of wins. Um, I, the season could be getting away from them. It, it could be. I think these next two games, the game today and the game tomorrow against the Braves, especially tomorrow's game since DeGrom will be pitching, I think these need to be all hands on deck games. Uh you got to have all your top relievers ready. Um, I don't want to see them messing around with the lineup. One thing that drove me crazy in DeGrom's last start was that three of their regular starters were not in the lineup that day. You absolutely, every time DeGrom is pitching, need to have your best lineup out there and your best relievers ready to go. Those have to be considered premium games that you have to win because you know that DeGrom is going to give you uh, six, seven, eight great innings every time he pitches. Um, but even if they don't win both of these games against the Braves, this is a year where winning the division doesn't matter all that much. The way that they baseball has set up this playoff format where eight teams get in and the first round series is just a best of three. I mean, you're going to be playing a best of three series in front of no fans. So, I mean, if the Mets finish second in the division or even third in the division, but have the seventh or eighth best record, Anybody could beat anybody on any field in a best out of three situation. This is a year where you just have to get in, and as bad as things have looked, the Mets have, and you know, despite the problems with their pitching staff, they have enough offensive talent where this team can go 500 or even maybe be slightly below 500 and make the playoffs. And if they make the playoffs, who knows what happens? But one thing you also said about the Marlins is that not only were those uh, you know, potentially a lot of wins that we thought they were going to pick up. But the Marlins are in the Mets division. The Phillies are also in the Mets division. And while the Phillies haven't had any players test positive, they've had coaches test positive. But with those two teams being in the division, the Mets are supposed to play the Phillies 10 times and they're supposed to play the Marlins 10 times. And it certainly seems like a lot of those games aren't going to happen. So in this Eastern division, I don't think the Mets are going to be playing 60 games this year because there's just not going to be a way to make up those games. I think there's a much greater chance that the Mets play something like 50 games, meaning the Mets are already 20% through their schedule. So they're going to have to start winning some games. Again, we don't think their season's over, but it hasn't looked good. And they've got to turn it around in a hurry because they're not going to have as many games as everybody thinks to make games up. One thing to end on kind of a positive note is if you're a Mets fan, they are really well set up for a three-game series where you could have DeGrom pitch one game, assuming Stroman gets back. That's two really good pitchers. As we said, their lineup, even if you're being a little critical of it, has been really, really good. And Lugo can pitch two innings two days in a row. So that may be all you need to win You know, a three-game play- playoff series is Stroman, DeGrom, and Lugo plus your hitters may just equal a victory there. So they, they are really well set up to get two wins. Absolutely. And they have the kind of hitters that can wreck a short series like that. I mean, even though some of their guys, and some of the guys have really hit. I mean, Cano's really been hitting. Davis has really been hitting. Conforto's been on fire. I'm really getting sick of people criticizing him. He's been really good this season. 
Yeah, so I mean, they clearly have the offensive talent where, I mean, they could easily get hot for two days and steal a series. I mean, whether, you know, they're playing the Cubs or the Dodgers, I, I don't care. You know, if, if they figure out a way to get into the playoffs, even as a, the seven or eight seed, uh, with their lineup and their, you know, and Jacob deGrom, you'll take your chances against anybody. And one thing I wanted to come back to, and it's something you talked about at the top of the pot about this season being so weird and uh, will it feel legitimate? I think this regular season has this, certainly has this feeling, especially with all these coronavirus cases and now players are opting out. I think we saw Lorenzo Cain of the Brewers just opt out of the rest of the season. But if the Mets can make it to the playoffs and the baseball can actually see a playoff, and I think a lot of Mets fans may forget this because we're in the playoffs so infrequently, but there's nothing quite like playoff baseball. You're just on the edge. It's it's so nerve-wracking. It's the best. You're on You're on the edge of your seat on every pitch. And if the Mets get to the playoffs and, you know, were to make it to the World Series, after all these playoff games and getting through four rounds, like it's going to be such a... It's going to feel so nerve-wracking going through all those playoff teams and making it through all those rounds and all those teams that by the time you make it to the end, I do feel like it will feel legitimate because it's going to be so hard this year to make it through the playoffs once you're in it. If I'm Rob Manfred, here's what I do. And I don't understand why he's not doing this. So I don't think the season is really working the way they set out. There's been players testing positive. Players are feel fearful. As you said, uh, Kane just decided that he's out. He's not comfortable with this anymore. I think we're going to see more of that. Shut it down. A month from now, open up in a bubble and just do a tournament. Like, why not? It's going to be way safer. We see that basketball is is safe. Like, what I keep telling people is it seems like basketball is safer than just kind of living in the world right now where there's been no one testing positive. They've created a closed system. The virus is not magical. It doesn't go through walls. Like, these guys are safe in that bubble. This regular season where people traveling around, it's not – it's just not working. Just – just get to the playoffs, right? Just create a tournament. It'd be really fun. Maybe players who've opted out would opt back in. Um, you could control it like basketball has controlled it. I think that's what they should do. Um, and Justin, if it's okay with you, so we're we're kind of done talking about the Mets now. Um, if you only wanted to hear a Mets pod, you can you can tune out. We're going to talk about the Jets and CJ Mosley. We're Nick, Met, and Jet fans. Most of the time, we're going to put up an individual pod for each team. This way, if you're just a fan of one team, you can listen to it. But I do think talking about C.J. Mosley dovetails nicely into what we were just talking about. And I I think I speak for both of us. Um, We saw a lot of people criticizing C.J. Mosley on Twitter. Um, You mentioned Lorenzo Cain. That's why I think these things connect. We firmly support players who want to take their health into account and the health of their family. If you want to opt out of playing during the coronavirus, you should absolutely have a right to. Um, You should not be be forced to expose yourself to coronavirus. If you're someone who believes that they want to go get their money and play baseball or football, go for it. If you feel like you're young and strong, I would say take the coronavirus seriously. But like, if you think you can keep yourself safe, we, we want to watch sports. But if you are someone who is even a little worried, like we, we support you. This is not about sports. This is about life and death in many situations. And we were, we were both upset that CJ Mosley didn't play last year. I was upset they signed him. I think he's a great player. I wouldn't spend that much money on him, but... I am not going to criticize C.J. Mosley for opting out of playing football. We've seen how many players are getting it in baseball. You should have a right to protect yourself. So I am not criticizing C.J. Mosley at all. I'm upset for their defense, but C.J. Mosley has a right to defend himself and his family. I completely agree. I understand some Jets fans being frustrated about the fact that we signed C.J. Mosley to this big contract. Last year he plays in one game, ends up missing the rest of the season, and now you're not going to see him in year two. But I think what's happening this year needs to be completely separated from last year. We're we're living in really difficult times, and any player that doesn't feel safe playing uh, absolutely has the right to opt out. You've seen a lot of football players start to opt out, and the fact that C.J. Mosley had an injury last year and year one of his contract didn't live up to expectations needs to be completely separated from his decision now. We've seen football do absolutely nothing to make anyone feel confident that they're going to protect their players. And football, like now and in the past, where football has really taken the, the, the safety and lives of their players for granted. Um, I We both love football. I, I mean, I think I'm more of a Met fan and a Nick fan than I am a Jet fan, though I absolutely love all team, all those teams. But my favorite thing to do on a Sunday is to watch football. We love fans. We, don't, we, we want football. 
I just increasingly am feeling like there's just no way this happens. Um, and I think given the number of high-profile players who are opting out this early, should tell you that they're not seeing it either. Um, but we hope the NFL figures it out. If I was uh, if I was Roger Goodell, I would do the same thing I said for baseball. I would just have a tournament, and I would have that tournament in a controlled environment to take everyone's safety um, seriously. And it gives you a better chance of finishing. And actually, if you're just worried about money, it gives you a better chance of making money because you're keeping people safe. Um, yeah. yeah, I think football needs to look at what's happened with baseball with uh, all these players contracting coronavirus. They still have some time here. They still have over a month until the season starts. I think they need to completely scrap the schedule that they you know, had put in place, come up with some sort of bubble system. And, it, and if you say it's too many people to put in a bubble, create two bubbles, create four bubbles. They could do four bubbles, eight teams in each bubble, and you just play each of the seven other teams twice or something right. like do that. Do a tournament, have less games, and knock teams out. Exactly. But I just can't see any way they're going to do it. And actually... What NFL the NFL has in place right now is worse than baseball because at least baseball tried to set up something where it was regional where you're only playing teams in the other Eastern, Central, or Western divisions. You're only playing these nine other teams. We're eliminating the long cross-country flights. Football has done none of that. Like I think the, the Jets are supposed to go out to the West Coast three times this year. Everybody's just playing everybody. The rosters are way bigger. It's a much more physical and respiratory sport. It's going to be a mess. And, you know, going back to what I was saying, at least with the divisions, like one thing you look at, for example, uh, the Western division, the 10 teams that play in the AL West and NL West, as far as I know, haven't had any coronavirus tests. So that division is still intact. And by doing this division format, at least right now, the Western division of baseball can still get in their 60 games. The Central and Eastern divisions have been compromised and they're going to have to figure out something with those schedules. But at least they've separated it somewhat. Football, everybody's just going to be playing everybody, and I, you know, I, I just don't see how they're going to be able to do and it. They've had the most time to react to this, and they just—I I don't know. Maybe it, there's a lot of smart people in the NFL. They have a lot of money. You're assuming they could figure it out. I've—I've I've just been a little flummoxed at their inability to react and put a plan together that makes people confident that we're going to have an NFL season. We fo- we follow three sports very closely. Uh, baseball, basketball, and football, and I think we. And again, I think a lot of times in business, you know, you're as strong as you're the leader of your corporation. And I think we'd agree that Adam Sil- Silver is a phenomenal NBA commissioner, which is why he's been able to put together this uh, strong bubble system. We don't follow hockey, and I know uh, hockey's commissioner has been criticized, but it seems like they also have the right idea doing what they're doing with their bubbles. Uh, but baseball and football, Rob Manfred and Roger Goodell are by most people not considered very good commissioners. So I don't think it's surprising that these two sports are currently finding themselves in the position that they're in. I, it makes me sad, Justin, that the Knicks are bad. And, uh, cause I just love basketball and it'd be so much fun to be all in a basketball because they're so well run. They're innovating. They've, they freaking pulled off a safe system. We should, we don't want to jinx it, right? It's still early. Like it could go wrong. Yeah. Um, but it seems like they've pulled off a safe system in the middle of a global pandemic. Come on, Knicks, get it, get it together. Um, which is a nice transition because we're going to be putting out a Knicks pod talking about uh, the five worst trades of the we call it the modern Knicks era. So it's the era that we've been we've been watching them. So that should be coming up soon. Follow us on um, Twitter or Instagram. We're uh, at Born Eighty Seven Pod. Our website's up now. It's Born Eighty Seven Pod dot com. If you forget, we also have Born Eighty Seven dot com. We we bought that too, just in case anyone typed in the wrong. <laughs> address uh and then please give us five star rating in the apple uh store and subscribe to us we really do appreciate it. also send us feedback we we're we think we're getting a little better at this but we we want to do this for a while so email us at born 87 pod at gmail.com anything you want to add justin before we totally close out that was very well said hopefully the mets start playing a little bit better this was fun have a good one have a good one